Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey everybody, welcome. It's another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Uh, I'm Heather Burnt-Santy and joining me today is Mike Huber. Hello. Hey, Mike, we're going to talk about your book again. Oh, good. <laughs> the new book. Um, I hope that by now a lot of people have this already in their hands. By the time this episode comes out, here's a big reveal for you. I know this will be thrilling for you. Um, by the time this episode comes out, I will have done my annual five books I loved this year thing on my nerd Facebook page, and this will be on there. So, <laughs> so thank you for it again. Sure. Um so so today we're going to go to, you've got a chapter called Multiple Experts um, and a quote uh, kind of about um, uh, being on the same team as children to start us. So I'll do that quote and then I'm going to ask you maybe to just talk about multiple experts Sure. and then we'll, then we'll go into the quote. But yeah, yeah. Um, so in, in part of this conversation in your chapter, a part of this discussion, um, you said you should not threaten any quote unquote consequences for a child's actions, whether it is an attempt to engage with others, an attempt to move or dysregulation. You are on the same team as the child. You can remove barriers and teach them the skills they need for future situations, but threatening them with consequences put you in op- puts you in opposition with the child and makes you the quote unquote expert on what should happen. In essence, consequences exclude the child from the process. So I'm assuming in this piece, the child is one of the experts from your multiple yes. experts. So I'll just let you go for a yeah. while. Yeah, maybe I'll start with that part because <laughs> when I was sort of thinking about what the book would be, um, and I was using just basically a cultural humility lens. So thinking that there's not one right answer to anything, <laughs> like there's multiple ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know, I was rambling about it with Sonia, my girlfriend, and she just sort of said, yeah, but the child is the expert, right? Mm. Nice. Like, like, oh, yeah. (laughs) This is Um, why I keep you around. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, but I I think, you know, it was sort of that that thing that um, it's important to keep in mind, because in in the moment in the classroom, because I'm really aiming this book at the person who's with the child, so right. the classroom, the program, whatever uh, word you want to use, you can get, you get dysregulated and it's easy to go into, I just need this screaming to stop mm-hmm. for my benefit, right? It, mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's, it's natural and we have to um, be aware of that right. initial reaction. You don't have to actually react out loud, <laughs> but you pause realize that's where you're going to especially if you've experienced trauma or if maybe the parenting you received as a kid was very consequence filled all those Mm -hmm. things um 
and you just have to recognize, oh yeah, my first reaction is this because of yeah. my experience. But what I want to do, the childhood I want this child experience, you know, is this, and then you can respond. So thinking of that child as the main expert of um, what they're doing, the way, um, so my newest way of thinking of this is um, Dr. Winnie Dunn was just on um, Two Sides of the Spectrum podcast uh, as we record this. Uh -huh. um, and she said, she's, she's addressing occupational therapists, but she said, we're not sensory therapists, we're occupational therapists. And occupation meaning what activities does the child want to do during the day? And we help them do those things. Uh -huh. We have to know the sensory profile. We have to know where they're at. And so sometimes it's adapting the environment for the child. Sometimes it's helping the child deal with, you know, the environment, maybe putting on headphones or something. And maybe it is desensitizing to certain things that are just so overwhelming, whatever it is. But the point is they're not there to be, to fix the sensory thing, but that sensory profile, which is essentially what the child is feeling, is the information, right? So the child's the expert on, yeah, paint freaks me out. If it <laughs> touches me or my clothing, uh -huh. I'm gonna lose it. That's the expert, we know that's there and no other person can tell the child that they're wrong for feeling that way, right? right? So, and that's what consequences does, is it uh -huh. says, nope, you know, your, uh, what you do, what you're doing right now is wrong and it's not to say that a an action or a behavior, I hate to use the word behavior. So yeah, I know. There's no good replacements for all the words I don't want to use. <laughs> yeah, is, um, is like um, allowable, right? Like I can't, you know, you, you can't just let a kid hit another kid because they are overwhelmed by the water on their sleeve. Right. But you cannot tell the child that the water on their sleeve is not causing them such distress that they're striking out. Uh-huh. And if you do a consequence, you're still not on the same team with what can we do about your sleeve? It's you're just going right to the action and now you've lost the child. Mm -hmm. And if you're on the same team as the child, wow, that sleeve is really bothering you. Let's take care of that. And then, wow, you know, so-and-so is, you know, sad that you pushed them. Right. You know, right. you know, so you can, it's not that you don't check in with, you know, have a child check in with others, but you can't just ignore, you know, the whatever you want to call it, the reason behind the action, I guess. Right, right. So, or tell them that their discomfort is wrong or that yeah, they're wrong about. Or that it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, just, like, I don't care how you're feeling. You can't do that. And it's like, well, they did it already. <laughs> and if they... you want me not to do it again, you have to care about how I'm feeling. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And essentially, you know, you're giving that what you can do is, I think, I can't remember exactly how I said it in that quote, but giving them the tools to in the future when their sleep gets wet remove barriers or, and teach skills or what can they do to um you know like oh i really want to go play in that water but i hate my sleeves getting wet i'm going to take off my long yeah pull up my sleeves although pulling up sleeves for a four-year-old they never do it well <laughs> enough that it's going to stay up so. yeah yeah, yeah. But, or they know, get you... so stretched out from being pushed up that they just are falling yeah, back right, right, yeah. again yeah yeah and i think the other piece that i didn't really write in here, but was kind of an impetus for the book was if you treat every child as if they've had trauma, the first thing people would tell you is don't use consequences. Uh -huh. You want to use comfort. You want to give okay. them a sense of control. 
So a person who's experienced trauma needs a sense of control. The more out of control they feel, the more their behaviors or sorry, their actions will feel um, coming from nowhere. They'll feel violent or they'll feel, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. And it's like, so if you want to help them stop that, they need to stay in control. Right. And then you can have, so that's a, another way to look at it. Um, and a child may or may not have the, uh, have experienced trauma, but giving them a, keeping, giving them or <laughs> helping them keep a sense of control and be on their side is going to help them in the long run anyways. Yeah. And even if you don't want that behavior in your room, if it drives you nuts, you're going to be dealing with those actions. Sorry, it's a behavior. <laughs> you're going to deal with those actions less yeah. the more you um, stop using consequences. Yeah. Well, and I think ultimately what what we're talking about is adults relearning because culturally we've probably been raised in a consequence right. um, morality focused yeah. um, environment whether that's home or school uh, or workplaces um right. and um and, and a lot of our teacher prep when we're talking about yeah, uh, yeah. that word that we have to keep saying we hate using behavior yeah um that's it's very training is very consequence heavy so sort of what what you're doing here is giving everybody an invitation to maybe maybe follow an instinct that we didn't like doing all that but that's what we were told we had to right, do right. yeah um or and, and those like workshops question. yeah yeah and the workshops that people often take in our field you know where it's like these one and done workshops mm -hmm. well here's a quick fix right and the problem with quick fixes, you know, is it's like, you're just like wallpapering over shit, you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, yes. that'll like, sure. You don't see it now, but uh -huh. you know. Yeah. I wonder if I'll be brave enough to name this episode wallpapering <laughs> over shit. <laughs> we'll see. Um, okay. So I, I've got like two different directions, two different follow-up yeah, yeah. things, but, but one is, so the book is inclusion includes us. I forgot to say that at the beginning for people who haven't heard us talk about this already. Um, and your last, um, the last sentence of that quote was in essence, cos consequences exclude the child yeah. from the process. So can you, can you flesh out that connection a yeah, little yeah. bit? And maybe that gets into the whole <laughs> multiple experts thing, right? Yeah. Because <clears throat> When any situation that happens in an early care um, program yeah. involves you, the adult, whether you call yourself a care provider, teacher, practitioner, whatever, practitioner, <laughs> yeah. or even in an OT, you know, pediatric OT, yeah. same thing. But um, when something is happening, you, your actions and your experience is part of it and mm -hmm. your training, your education, the things you've read, the podcasts you've listened to, or you're bringing all of that. Mm -hmm. The child or multiple children, depending on the situation, <laughs> is bringing their experience, their skills that they have now, their um, body. So the way their senses work, the way they're experiencing the world, um, they're bringing all that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, those books you read, the podcasts you uh, <laughs> listen to, all that, those people are experts also. That's how you got information. And not everyone is going to have the same ideas 
but that's where you come in. You're, you get to decide which ideas, oh yeah, when I'm in the classroom, this is what works. Mm-hmm. Or in, in the therapy room, this is what works. So you get to decide that, but you're listening to those experts. And then there's the uh, families themselves. So the more you know from the family about a child, the more um, you understand the child too, because the child is not going to say, oh, just so you know, when I was two, I was experiencing um, regular neglect, you know, at least once a week, you know, whatever. My parents went out and, you know, didn't come back for hours or whatever. You know, the child is never going to tell you that. I guess right. the family probably isn't either, but yeah. um, or but they could tell you a lot of things, I guess yeah. is, is my point, right? So yeah. you'd know the child better and what their actions are having the family context. And then I also have the cultural component because some of it, if it's a culture different than your own, just the family might give you the information, might not, but also there are certain cultures where the child is not of the same culture as the parents. So it could be a transracial adoption. It could be um, a deaf child with hearing parents. Mm -hmm. It could be a... um, intersex child with, you know, parents who are not intersex, um, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Uh, So that the less the family, the less the adults in the family are part of the culture, the more you might have to rely on those experts too. Mm -hmm. But just that idea that any situation, all of those things are happening at the same time. And yet you have to react in the moment. Right. Or maybe I should use the word respond. Yeah. um, Yeah. That you will have your in, your implicit bias will make you go to immediate reactions, but you can over time with reflective practice, mm-hmm. pause and decide, is that the way I want to respond here? Yeah. And then respond in a way that takes into account all of those experts, even though most of it will happen where you don't really know why you're doing it anymore. But the yeah. more you've experienced a, a culture other than your own that the, that the child is in, the more you might kind of get, oh yeah, I remember seeing this, experiencing this, you know, yeah. so, so so that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah, I think the reflective piece is really important here because yes. as you're listing off all those, the varied elements of expertise that are out there that that can go into each decision that might feel really overwhelming. And I think when, anytime I talk to people about thinking differently about behavior, right. um, uh, you know, they, they feel really overwhelmed by all the things that I'm asking them to take into consideration. So right. it's important to to acknowledge that you won't always know exactly right. what's right. right in the moment, but the more you process it and think about it and talk to other people about it, if you have that, you know, that kind of a uh, network or or even that kind of support in your workplace to have time to talk to coworkers, the more natural it becomes. And you don't even realize maybe that you're taking right. all that expertise in to make your decision. And that's where I like the phrase being on the same team, yeah. because if you do respond to a child's actions and it seems to go well, <laughs> and when you're talking to the family, oh yeah, this happened and this is what I said, and then the family could say, oh, yeah, that's how we deal with it. Or that that reminds me of something we've seen. Or And so when you share after, even though you didn't necessarily take into account, then you can go to them. And then the opposite, right? If you've tried some, oh, that didn't work. You try uh-huh. something different. Oh, that didn't work. 
yeah. there's a there's this action that keeps happening that is whatever maybe not working in the classroom so just you know other kids are getting hurt or yeah. this child seems distraught and you don't you know what can i do to help with that then you go to the parents with a different thing of like yeah i'm noticing this what you know have you noticed it what do you do and so then you're relying on their expertise so part of it is when you just think of being on the same team if it seems like it's working you don't have to like check in with well let me go read up on that let me go um you know go to a few cultural events go to the, uh -huh. you know like yeah but if things aren't working you really need to you know and then so part of it is always reflect having a reflective practice really helps so if it's a regular reflective practice your coworker or whoever it is um my main reflective practice now is podcast. So I can't possibly just approach the nerds as friends. I must yeah. record about it with them. Exactly. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. And, and frankly, that's what teaching the body with in the teaching with the body and mind, uh -huh. that podcast, the four of us on that, on that podcast, there were like a bunch of us who did reflective practice once a month. And we realized that, we could probably do a podcast. And then some people were like, no, thank you. And then you know, four <laughs> of us were like, we like hearing our voices. So but yeah, that's how that good. started. I'm glad. There was like three or four years of us doing it without the idea that we do it for others. Yeah. Um, but what it did was it really helped us like, hey, I, I noticed this. This is what I did. I'm not so sure that was the best thing. What do you think? Yeah. And, and being able to reflect and and just being knowing that there's different experts. And knowing when your culture is the same as the child's, it's probably not going to be a cultural thing. When it's different and things aren't working, you probably you might realize, oh, this might have something to do with this cultural difference. Yeah. Is there another person at my workplace I can talk to? I'm from a large agency, so I get a little more work with that. But sometimes it's not that, but it might yeah. be, am I in a Facebook group? Am I whatever? Yeah. On a, uh, um, yeah. discord server that has people whatever sure or or people in real life too of course um just that <laughs> so, doesn't happen very often right, i know my in real life circle is very small so i yeah. have to i have to go to my pretend friends and sometimes they don't have to know about early childhood to help right absolutely if you're working with a child um i don't maybe they have autism and and yeah. oh do i have any neurodivergent friends uh-huh or are there other adults i can ref, you know ask right um, and of course, no one person's an expert. This is where the child is the main expert. Mm -hmm. Nobody in a cultural group has the answers for the child you're working with, but they have perspective that might help you. That's yeah. still the one who has to decide what to do. Yeah. As I, as I was listening to you, I was thinking about the times that in various roles I've been on, like IEP teams, mm -hmm. care teams, planning teams, whatever they call it. And um you know, so the language of, of being on a team is very familiar, yeah. but I think what you're talking about and involving intentionally and reflectively involving the child, accepting the child as yes. part of the team. I don't want to say involving because that's still under our control. Well, it's still very yeah, yeah. controlled by us, but accepting and acknowledging that they are part of the team and are giving us their expertise, sharing their expertise with us is different from, yeah. um, uh therapists and teachers 
and maybe parents, I think parents and families aren't always really truly on that team. Right. Um, other than sitting in the room at the time. Yep. It's a, it's a totally different conversation. Yeah. 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 And I think, so Dr. Winnie Dunn, I'm going to go back to her. Yeah. So she's one of the people who developed the concept of sensory profile or, okay. or maybe not the concept. She's, I, I'm not an occupational therapist. So yeah. people are going to say, no, you got it wrong. But, or she <laughs> developed a screening tool to help identify a person's sensory profile. Okay. It's more accurate. But she's been working in the field for, you know, 40 years or whatever, or 30 something years. <laughs> and she... Um, she talked about that, th that whole idea of we're an occupational therapist, not a um, sensory therapist. So mm -hmm. one of the things she said was, so if a therapist asked me like, oh, well, they're having trouble brushing their teeth. So we are working on this in the therapy room. She's like, well, no, you need to get a toothbrush and a yeah. toothpaste <laughs> and, you know, watch the child do or the, she was talking about um, all sorts of age ranges, but mm -hmm. you know, like you have to then watch what they're doing and say, oh, I, this is where it gets, this is where you're finding the problem or, you know, uh -huh. like you're actually there watching that person. So that person is the expert and all you can do is give ideas, give your expertise, you know? Yeah. And so um, obviously sometimes when you're working with a, you know, two-year-old who can't, who's, uh, who's not walking, but, um, you know, is showing movement, like, Mm -hmm. whatever and you're working towards help, helping them stand up they aren't they're showing you in a way what they can do right and then you're trying to find what's the motivating factor so you're not necessarily getting um again like a verbal like oh have you tried this yeah you know? <laughs> but yeah you're sort of looking at what's the you know what are they doing but you're still start you're still i guess it's the strength you're looking for right what are you doing and now, oh, here's the part you wish was different or whatever. I can help you with that, but it's not starting with the deficit. Right. That's that's a key piece. And this is where, um, you know, um, we need a therapist to join us to talk yes. about <laughs> that strengths-based. But in the classroom, I, I can certainly say that when I look at a kid and just say, this is the kid who always throws paint or this is the kid who always hits others or bites others yeah and as soon as i just go to seeing the deficit first even if i then say oh but they tell funny jokes or whatever <laughs> it's still like but i'm starting with that or yeah. how can i get rid of this behavior i'm still starting with the deficit and not yeah. you know what is the child trying to do how can i help them do that you know without them biting the other yeah children? yeah well, I think even when we have a strength-based model or approach, a lot of times that comes still from that checklist of our idea of success yep. or our idea of strength. Right. And we're trying to make, we're still, even when we're looking for strengths, we're trying to make them fit our idea of strength yep. instead of just watching them right. and listening to them and, and saying, okay, this individual child, I don't even need a checklist. Here's, here's right. where we can build from or even that sort of deficit language that I don't want to, I wish I hadn't said, um, but here's, here's what he brings. Yeah. Here's what, here's and what's what their bring. goal or their motivation or, or yeah. whatever. And that's where, you know, with young children, you may need more of that from the parent or from your knowledge of what they're probably going to want to do. Yeah. yeah. But then be aware when you're watching, do they want to? Right. You know, I mean, I'm just thinking of a child that uh, is with 
years ago who had no interest in letters or literacy and he's heading off to kindergarten but what he did care about was animals uh-huh. and what he did want to do was tell me about animals <laughs> so i was like well tell me about animals oh yeah. that's great hey you know do you want your mom to know about them too sure okay what how could we let her know? And so he would like draw or write, uh-huh. not write words, but like draw right. pictures or something, you know? So then he just started doing that and then leave a note for his mom about a narwhal or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, eventually, you know, he wanted to, well, how do I spell that or whatever? Right. And so that one was like a, that is getting into the, um, trying to do what he wanted, but what he wanted to do was communicate with his mom. Uh And at some point he got to a point where he realized I need some words here. Yeah. And so, so, but my main motivation was having him connect like what he really wanted to do. mm -hmm. Um, There was a little bit of, yeah, I know that mom's worried about the words. So that's, so that's a, but it was still like, I was, I never, asked him to write anything right mm-hmm. I yeah. just wanted him to like start you know because that's you know written word the written word is only there for to communicate ideas to people who aren't with you uh-huh. whether in time or space uh-huh wow and okay. once you want to do that I mean you you can record a podcast <laughs> right but then you have that's to so- figure what format is it in because in 10 years I don't know what format will be there yeah but, written word will be there in 10 years yeah so we're not necessarily saying you can never have a goal yeah yeah but it was really building off of what does he want to do with Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's why i wanted to bring up that example even in the most academic sense um what i really need to do is give him a reason why he was Uh right yeah you know same thing like counting like you know watch like a calendar time i'm uh-huh. sure you've already done an episode but you know kids just counting yeah days and what's we're recording on the 22nd sure December, and we'd count 22 days oh today's december 22nd it's uh-huh. like how many kids were really like into yeah let's keep counting i can't wait till tomorrow because right. now we can count to 23 right versus um hey would you put out the snack mm-hmm. like Right. Oh, you don't know how many kids, or they put out snack. Like I used to just let kids do it. Yeah. And they'd set like 10 plates all in like front of one chair. And <laughs> kids would like wash their hands and be looking like, I don't have a snack. Uh-huh. And I'd say to the kid, oh, you know, Jeremy, um, uh, Jacob, you know, doesn't have a snack. Oh, yeah. you know what it is. Right. And then other kids would be like, well, how many kids are there? Like they'd know they yeah. need And other kids didn't. And I didn't need to because I wasn't like, I need to teach you counting. It was much more like, I need us to take care of each other and yeah. serve snack. And counting is going to come up at some point. Right. You know, right. oh, we don't have enough. We're going to need one more pair or uh-huh. whatever. Like, it'll yeah. come up at some point. Just naturally, yeah. if you just give kids, you know. Yeah. Or we have 10, but they're all over here on this side of the table. Yeah. yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> So there's some one-to-one correspondence and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's still, it's only important because it, it matter and you know, whatever, but like, why do those things matter? I mean, that's again, where we get into exclusion. The things we've decided matter Mm -hmm. seem to come from, um, you know, white middle-class culture of, you know, 
people who used to play teacher when they were kids and grew up and now yeah. they want to do it. And it's like, like how much in the American field of early childhood education, I don't see very much talked about with storytelling. Right. I mean, they'll say it's fine and everything, but like when I see about book reading, it's like, we've got to read to kids every day. Right. We've got to, you know, whatever. Uh, and it's like, but what about storytelling? Right. Like storytelling is such a rich, um, even if you want to look at it in terms of um, like different checklists, different. Yeah, right. You can make standards. You, you can make standards fit into your storytelling. But the idea that like, I mean, it, you know, in our, um, I'm in Minnesota, the licensing standards, they have, you know, how many books you need yeah. by the kids. And then if you go to like a credit, an AC accreditation, how many of different types of books do you need? Right. And all that, right. And, but nowhere do I see a checklist that's just like, have you told a story that gets a little scary? Yeah. Have you told a story that um, the children um, gave ideas for? Yeah. Have you told, you know, like, and which is fine. I don't want another checklist. Right. But my point <laughs> is, when you create a checklist, you always have to choose which things to do, which things uh -huh. not to do. Um, and it just, and, and and then the mentality of that is to just keep adding to a checklist. So right. that's my fear now is someone is going to say, oh, let's add that to the accreditation standards. Or, yeah. I mean, like, I, I remember, I won't name names. <laughs> I remember reading an article in a magazine of an yeah. organization I may have sure. just mentioned. Sure. And it was about, oh, you know, when you go around your environment, your classroom or whatever, or your playground, you know, it, it's nice to just make sure you have certain things in place because things might have got, you know, broken or whatever. Uh -huh. And so there's this thing with like 10 items. Um, again, I won't mention names and I won't mention what type of rating scale they ended up creating and whether there's one on early childhood rating sure. scale, a family childcare rating scale, sure. toddler, infant toddler rating scale. Right. But, um, suddenly it became this giant booklet with a hundred different things. And then uh -huh. states are like, oh yeah, you, let's use this to decide if your program is quality of getting grants and yeah. quality. And it was like, let's start with 10 things in an ag magazine article, like 20 years yeah. ago. And as soon as you get into the checklist mentality, uh, I mean, it's like the way to be inclusive is just to keep adding to your checklist. Mm -hmm. And instead it's like, what if we thought about exclusion and try to avoid it? Yeah. You know, then you don't need a checklist. What you need to do is interact with the people around you and like, oh, this new child came in. Mm -hmm. I've never had a child with um, um, that doesn't celebrate birth. The family doesn't celebrate birthdays mm -hmm. for religious reasons or whatever, personal reasons. But, oh, I've never had that. How do I include this child? Because we normally have a birthday crown for the kid with the mm -hmm. birthday, you know. Yeah. And we want to honor that. But we also want to honor this. What do we do? You don't need a checklist to do that. You need to assume that the child and the family are the experts in this mm -hmm. case. But then you also know that there's other families and you're the person who has to deal with the whole group. And you may go to whatever experts in the field who have dealt with this mm -hmm. dilemma if you can't figure it out yourself or, you know. Right. Your, hopefully your reflective practice right. uh, partners. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and, and, you know, so like, that's and a it whole may, thing. So yeah, yeah, it it may look different. This family suddenly is new to my program, and and we don't they don't do birthdays, and so we figure it out. And then in six years, you may have a different family come in who's 
don't celebrate birthdays and different families who do. And you've got to re yeah, like th- there, right. that's, that's the problem with the checklist is that we think this is always going to be true. And yes. this is always going to be a solid measurement. Um, when the reality is we're all constantly evolving and we'll all have new people in our teams. Um, yeah. Actually, can I, I want to tell a story about, um, I recently did, I do a lot of training around the, um, a gender, yeah. gender identity, gender development. A lot of it based on um, some guests that you've had before, uh, uh-huh. and Nathaniel Flynn and all the other people yeah. who wrote that book from the Gender Justice and Early yeah. Childhood Collective. Jul- Julianne um, Nicholson, is she one yep. of them? Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I um, was doing this presentation, talk about the most recent research and, you know, going through all this stuff. And this one couple, they had a family childcare in a, um, a suburb I don't know if we nowadays we call it purple, like it's kind of conservative, kind of not. But they just said a family came in and they said they didn't, they wanted us to use they, them pronouns for their child until the child told anyone differently. So the child was an infant when um, she started. Um, Uh And then it wasn't until she was three and a half that she said, I'm a girl. Okay. And, and so then it was asked, do you want us to use she, her pronoun? And do we want to say she, when we talk about you, I guess Uh it's probably. Yeah. said it to a three-year-old and it's like yeah and so that's what they did but this couple did not understand they had no none of this um more recent ideas around gender what gender identity is mm-hmm. versus sexual uh, uh right uh um identity or you uh-huh. know yeah and um they were just like Oh, and so when I was talking about this different research and what terminology people use and all this, like, oh, this makes sense. And then they told that story and they didn't have to know that information first uh-huh. to act. Uh-huh. All they did was listen, try it out uh-huh. and then say, yeah, this is working. Cause that's the one thing. Sometimes a parent will tell you something and either you kind of like, whatever you might think, you know, if they told you, oh yeah, whenever my kid does this, just hit him with the stick. Yeah. Like you're kind of, you you bring in yourself and parents might have something like that, but right. Or they might say, Oh, you know, at home, we just do this. And, and so you try it, but in a group environment, it doesn't work. Uh-huh. So um, a lot of times I find like rest time sure. parents suggest things. And it's like, that's great. Except when there's 10 other kids yeah. <laughs> looking around, Hey, yeah. you know, and they're going to crawl around the room to see their, all their friends and right. at home they're in a crib. Um, still or whatever you know mm-hmm. um, so so it's not that the family is always right about what works in your program or what you ethically mm-hmm. would do but in this case ethically made sense why not right and the child <laughs> reacted positively so you're on the same team uh-huh and um, yeah so I think that I, I just like that example as the, they didn't have to know right any of the information all they had to do is respect the kid uh-huh. um, and the family yeah that's really yeah that's a really important perspective um again going back to that analysis paralysis that some of us get into when we're right. when we have these new new situations come up or um uh you know we're not quite sure all the details or the, what language we you know all that kind of stuff just listening to the parent family yeah. Um, I mean, it gets into the, so then the reverse question is what if the child was assigned male at birth 
but wanted she her pronouns and the parents didn't want you yeah. to. That's a different question. I think um, yes. in that book, um, gender. Supporting, supporting gender, gender diversity in early childhood. Thank you. Um, <laughs> they do a really good job of how to have those conversations. Yes. And it's probably not um, where this episode needs to go. but um, <laughs> Right. We'll bring them back I, maybe sometime. Basically, or, yeah. if you disagree, you want the conversation around, tell me more. Tell me yeah. what why you think this and, and and get to the crux of things and then talk about your perspective mm -hmm. and talk about the perspective of I'm working with all these families and right. family, different people will have different ideas. So, yeah. you know, um, whatever at my center recently. So other children's families, I think I might've used this on the last episode with you, but around nail polish, but you know, like other oh, yeah. families do are okay with right. their sons using nail polish. So, you know, if you don't want to, if you're someone, that's fine, just so you know. Right. So other people yeah. do. So it's that idea that you still have a group environment. You're still the, whatever you want to call it, the gatekeeper of all these experts. Yeah. And and don't, and yeah, the paralysis though is the part that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you, I, you know, I had similar flexible. experiences around holidays it, oh, yeah. in one of my programs. You know, there were some families who didn't celebrate Christmas and felt very strongly and were really like grateful that there wasn't Christmas everywhere right. in the classroom the year that their children were with me while there was another family who was very offended because that's, right. yeah, um, you know, and, and, and felt like in, in fact, used the words that I was taking Christmas away from her four-year-old. Right, right. Um, so, so there's always some navigation, I guess, is what I'm And it was probably too much to send the letter home telling families to get rid of all the Christmas decorations in their houses. Right. Well. I did overstep when I sent yeah, yeah. that, that mandate out. <laughs> no, that's what I always try to use. That thing of I my room is a neutral place where we're welcoming all these different families. And if a kid wants to draw pictures around their holiday or right. make things, then I'm going to allow that. But I'm, I don't want it. I don't want a child to feel like they're excluded because this classroom celebrates Christmas. Right. Don't. Well, you know, you're right. welcome to be here. Yeah. Like we're inclusive because we're allowing you to be here and, you know, experience this, you know, holiday yeah. you don't celebrate. Yeah. I actually uh, remember that I, I had a kid. So this goes back to not totally getting it, but mm -hmm. um, I, so that's what I would do in my classroom. But then there was this one child who hadn't been diagnosed with autism yet, but Knowing now, I would have known the diagnosis was coming. Uh -huh. But yeah. I was pretty new in my career. But he came in and he had made a chart. Um, his family was from Holland. He had made a chart comparing Santa Claus to Sinterklaas. Nice. And he had these like, you know, like four-year-old drawings. <laughs> but when he talked, he could he would go like just this level of detail. Right. Uh -huh. you know? uh -huh. And so I had him come in and present this to all the other kids. And all the other teachers, because our whole place was this, you know, hippie place where we didn't celebrate holidays. Yeah. And I heard afterwards, like, yeah, everyone had a peek in to see, like, oh, this new teacher is allowing <laughs> holidays. And then they like watched and it's like, oh, this is being led by the kid. Yep. And um, because even like the amount of detail, it was like, because he would be like, Oh, yes, in whatever, I don't know, the you know, in 1259, blah, 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 whatever. Um I want to, I want that presentation. I yeah, I know. I know. He's now, he'd now be in his late thirties, I think. Oh, but I bet cool. still cool. do the presentation. I, it would still be interesting. <laughs> yeah. He's the same kid where I was trying to figure him out because he'd 
usually answer things in one word sentences. Uh -huh. And I left a little like recorder next to him. I mean, nowadays I would be my phone, but back yeah. then it was like a yeah. dictation thing. Yeah. And you can hear my footsteps leaving. And after I leave, he's suddenly like, the moon is 3,560, you know, and just started rattling off details about planets and, uh -huh. and moons and, and stuff. And you hear my footsteps coming back. And then he's and just he's like, back to one word. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me, you're using a lot of red paint. Tell me about that. You know, it's these. <laughs> It's red. Yeah. Well, Thank I mean, know. so that's such a good tie-in back to um, multiple experts and the child's expertise yeah. and figuring that all out. I mean, we had a, in the language preschool, we had a little uh, four-year-old who um, showed a lot of the indicators of autism, you know, right. but the, the official medical diagnosis was that he was not autistic. Yeah. And that really threw some of our um, graduate clinicians who were working with him um, for a loop, because what do we do now? It's like, well, you I, keep looking at what he's telling us he right. needs and wants to do. And yeah. it doesn't matter whether there's the label we thought. Right. Just act like, you know, he's telling I, us about yeah. himself. I have no diagnosis, but I've been learning on YouTube, like different hacks that um, adults with ADHD do. Uh-huh. And I just try them and things work really well. Right. Yeah. Oh, things are so much easier now. And yeah, I don't have a diagnosis. I don't need one. And even if I went to get one and they didn't give me one, I still know the hacks work. Right. For that child, that, uh, the autistic child I just talked about, I'm remembering now the one thing he did want to do is he would try to play with kids. And when he would join play, it was unsuccessful. Yeah. And I made a visual of when we want to, you know, join others in play. I don't know how I would. Mm -hmm. And then I had three pictures with like words next to them and just hung it up. And it's for everybody because uh -huh. all the kids, you know, could use a little reminder, but he right. would literally walk over and point to the picture and recite the words, you know, word for word, what I had said. Um, uh -huh. And then he would start to do those things. So um, again, <laughs> I didn't have a diagnosis. Yeah. I had been told because of the experts I, you know, learned from uh -huh. that when a child's struggling with something, one thing that can work is a visual. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I did. And then it turned out to actually help this child. And, um, yeah. you know, and that's, and, and I remember the family after when he did get a diagnosis, just coming back to me, he was in kindergarten and saying, you know, we we just knew he wasn't fitting in, uh -huh. but we never felt that he didn't fit in in your room. You always just accept him for who he was, but everywhere yeah. else, it was like, why isn't this child? Yeah. I mean, the way my checklist says, essentially. <laughs> um, and my favorite thing is that in his, the play in elementary school, they did Willy Wonka and he played Willy Wonka. And I was like, oh my God. Amazing. What yeah. would you do if Willy Wonka was in your classroom? <laughs> and what what things would you be checking off? Or... Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, oh. that might be have been a tangent. That's okay. I don't know if you noticed it. That's kind of what happens. <laughs> That's kind of what we do. Oh, now you tell me. Yeah, yeah, Jeez. yeah. If you oh, <laughs> speaking of tangents, sorry to yell in everybody's ear. I don't know what I was going to say now. I've completely derailed everything. Yeah. Um, for those of you listening and not watching, I just strangled myself with my headphones. 
Um, okay, what else? Anything else? Um, so I'm, I'm going back to the quote for a second. Yeah. I mean, I think, I do think that because it can be a lot, we just went in a hundred different ways with right. it. But I have found that just going back to that phrase, be on the same team as mm -hmm. the child, um, has been helpful for teachers I work with, you know, in my workplace to just like, oh, what do I do in the moment? Well, how do I make sure I'm not? So we had a, we have a inclusion specialist who's always do a visual. So those on YouTube can see this. Yeah. <laughs> do this. Do this. Okay. Right. So what is it going to be that's going to help the child get to what they're trying to do? Uh-huh. You know, versus what's going to um, be just a, you know, uh, um, power struggle. And that's, yeah. that's the word most people in this field understand. Right. right. You find yourself in these power struggles and it's like, do I, is this the hill I want to die on that the child is sitting in a chair while they're eating? Yeah. Or can they stand at the table? <laughs> yeah. But it really you know, be right? so bad. Whatever it is. Yeah. And we all do it. We all get to this point, especially if we were raised, the, the more we were raised in a authoritarian. Uh, yeah, authoritarian mold, the more it's going to have to be, oh, wait. Mm -hmm. And and it's okay to say to the child, oh, okay, I see you really want to stand. So um, I'm just worried that you might choke if you're moving quickly. Right. What do you think we could do here? So you're on the same team, you have the same goal. Yeah. And then you can um, go from there, I yeah. guess. Say it. And I, I have always, for a long time anyway, tended to say, you know, avoid power struggles. Adults very rarely win power struggles, but it's so much, I think more, could be so much more effective to think instead of um, what do I need to do to be on her team right now? Yeah, yeah. Instead of um, do I really want to get into a situation I can't win? <laughs> it's, a it's a totally different uh, mindset, I think. And uh, you know, what you think determines what you do. Yeah, changing even the language we think in can be right. just a good first step. Yeah, yeah. And then, and I'll just do the plug for the book because I'm so yeah. bad at it normally. But then in the book, that chapter, partly what I do is, so how would you rely on these different experts? Because when you're finding it hard, it's hard to be on the same team, who can help with that? Um, and depending on what the, the thing is, mm -hmm. Um, with that child who, you know, that ended up getting an autism diagnosis, had I not had the training I did, it would have been probably an occupational therapist would have told me right away, yeah. oh, visuals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah. So anyways, the book kind of helps talk you through that because mm -hmm. each type of expert is very different and and can be conflicting responses. And of course, there's multiple experts, there's multiple mm -hmm representatives of a culture there's you know yeah so um and some if i've definitely had the experience i'm sure you all have of even when there's only two people two parents and they have diff very different ideas <laughs> yes exactly yes. before a certain they need to stop telling kids what to do yeah for sure yeah well that's a whole other family yeah. working with Sorry. families episode that's okay um i'm yeah. so happy of plugging my book oh and it's called yeah. inclusion includes us right and yes, IFD. and it's available everywhere. And it's blurry when I held it up, but yeah, <laughs> well, it's available it. everywhere. Let me. Although I heard it was unavailable at Amazon for a little while, so that was Ooh, that's exciting. I know. Yeah, I mean, probably only had like three copies, but still. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I know I just ordered some more um, 
to have on hand for classes at 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 ye old ivy tech so um, yeah um okay well thanks mike it's always fun to talk to you and yeah, i really do just love this book so thank you for the book and the conversation yeah all right thanks everybody for listening come back again for another episode of that early childhood nerd and that's the show now go get your nerd on has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.